Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 420 with Ashley Wellman, rewriting your life for the next chapter. Hi, everybody. I am Sandy Weiner, and welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and in love. And speaking of woman of value, my my book is now available on Amazon Kindle and paperback, and it's called Becoming a Woman of Value. Here's a copy of it, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And uh, it's filled with my own personal stories of self-growth, my client stories, interviews from the podcast, and 30 tips and exercises for you to step more fully into your values. And this week's tip on becoming a woman of value from the book is, is love yourself first. We often put everybody else first and we forget to love ourselves first. And and I remember this whole concept seemed so foreign to me when I first heard about self-love. It felt like self-aggrandizing and selfish, but I see it in every single person that I meet that if they don't give themselves that love first, they don't have anything to give to anybody else. And so before you start to give, Feed your own self first. And so my my challenge to you this week is to, before you get to email, to serving somebody food, to doing something in the morning for somebody else, do something for you, whether it's exercise, prayer, meditation, cup of coffee on the porch, whatever it is that will make you start to feel filled up in some way. That's a great way to start your day rather than giving right away off the bat. We don't even realize that answering an email is already giving to somebody else. And before I bring Ashley on, just a quick note about my Facebook group, Your Last First Date. Go over there after this podcast. We are a fantastic group for singles and for for people in relationships who want to grow. This is not a place where you can just come and complain. We are here to focus you on finding your last first date through all the skills that I teach in my, in my coaching. So join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Ashley Wellman. She is a criminologist specializing in trauma and victimization with over 30 publications. She is a media expert and TV commentator and an advocate for survivors of trauma. After her own tragedy, she added author to the list and she launched her business with the creation of her first children's book, The Girl Who Dances with Skeletons, My Friend Fresno. And she feels that her greatest role is mother. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. Yeah, I love the title of your book and it's right behind you for anybody watching on video. I'm so excited. Yes, (laughs) we just got it in the mail actually. It's available on pre-sale now, pre-orders for people. But it's um, it's an adventure about, um, you know, I think on a larger scale about how things that are scary in our lives or things that are typically perceived as taboo can really be some of the most precious, beautiful things that we encounter. And for my daughter, it happens to be her best friend who's her posable sketch. Skeleton. So, <laughs> and everybody has a best friend who's a yeah, skeleton. Who doesn't? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so normal. <laughs> it's totally normal. Well, it's actually a really good thing for a kid to play with. But criminologists would have 
that's a exactly right. In the house, right? <laughs> exactly right. So if you can share your story about surviving trauma, that's a great place for us to begin so we can know who you are today and what you've been through. Sure. So I think it's one of those things that, that as we live our lives and as we grow, we have friends and family who experience trauma, but it's, it's something so foreign to us. You know, I studied it. I was a scholar of trauma and violence and loss. And when it happens in your own life, it's something you feel you're so unprepared for, you know, and that you're not sure how to proceed forward from there. So for me, I had, um, you know, thought that I had experienced trauma in an unhealthy relationship. And then, you know, I had multiple miscarriages back to back with my husband um, as we were trying for our second child. And so, you know, I had thought I've done my duty. I've cashed in my trauma. I've done enough, you know, and um, that's not how life would kind of deal it to my daughter and I. Um, as a family, we had made a very conscious decision to move for my career to Texas. Um, and in those of you who move around the country, that's a big, you know, a stressor in and of itself. Um, but the day before I started this new job at the university I'm at, um, I heard glass break downstairs, you know, and I'm getting ready for a nap and I call downstairs and I said, you know, what was that? What just broke? You know, and as a mom, we kind of go like, oh, geez, what do I have to clean up now? You know, <laughs> and so mm -hmm. in my head, I'm thinking like, what happened? And there was no answer. And my daughter was four at the time. I knew she was downstairs with her dad watching um, golf and so when no one answered, I knew something was wrong and I ran downstairs and I found my husband um, in the hallway between our, our kitchen and our guest bathroom in this tiny new condo. He was seizing. He wasn't breathing. I didn't know what was wrong. And so um, I called 911. Um, my daughter had found her way over to his body at that point and she's screaming to me like, save my dad, save my dad. And I couldn't attend to her. You know, and as a mom, I think for weeks after, you know, I kept thinking like what a terrible mother I had been by not attending to Reagan. But I didn't know how to attend to my husband, much less, you know, my daughter. So I'm trying to help him. And, you know, she's screaming, like, should you be doing CPR? And I don't know if I should be doing CPR, you know. So um, eventually firefighters and ambulance, um, you know, EMT get there and they tell me to get out of the house and that he has a heartbeat. So to calm down. You know, as long as he has a heartbeat, you're going to be okay. And so I said, okay, okay. And so like my biggest focus, I think at that time was recovering from the, the adrenaline I had just gone under, trying to present calmer to Reagan and thinking like, what am I going to say to him when he wakes up? You know, and it was not going to be nice at first. It was going to be like, you know, you son of a bitch. You're like, it's going to be so, you're like, don't do that to me. And yeah. so, um, you know, that was kind of on my, on my mind. And then another ambulance comes up. And then another fire truck comes up and I can see it in their faces. You know, like those guys are supposed to be the stoic. I could see it. There was significant concern. And so um, eventually I grabbed one of them because they wouldn't answer me. And I said, does he still have a heartbeat? Yes or no. And they said, no, he does not. And I think for me, that's when I went, this is not going to go the way I was you know, thinking it was going to go. Um, followed them to the hospital. Um, Reagan had gotten with a, you know one of my colleagues, followed them to the hospital. I watched CPR for nearly an hour and um, kept begging him to stay with me. They got him back and they'd lose him. They'd get him back and they'd lose him. And finally, the doctor said, stop. And I, I was kind of taken aback by how abrupt she had been with me. And she said, if I get him back, he's going to be brain dead. And she's like, do you want that? 
you know? And, and when she said that, it was like everything I had been hoping for just kind of went away. And I said, just stop then because he had had the conversation with me. Please don't ever let me be in a state like that, you know? And, and I was very confident in knowing he wouldn't want to be like that. And so I remember saying stop and then just falling apart, you know, and thinking like, this is not my life. This is not happening. He's 44. He's healthy. You know, I'm 34 at the time. And I just couldn't imagine how this had happened. And, um, you know, the, the next thought in my head was not only am I going to say goodbye to him, like this was not in the cards. You know, I thought I had had my last first date, you know, this was not in the cards for me. And so I kissed him goodbye. And all I could think to say was, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry I couldn't save you. And I promise I'll give your daughter the life that she deserves and one that you'd be so proud of and one that I wish you were going to be here for, but I will give her a life you would have created for her. Um, I think the next, the next thing on my mind was I have a baby to tell that her dad's dead, you know, and um, that was her best friend. Um, if I had chosen the way the life would go out, I would have been the one removed because he was such a natural dad and he was so fun and so carefree. Um, but that's not what happened. And so I then became not a scholar, not a wife, not a mother with a you know husband to help her. I was a single mom. I was a widow. And I now did not know why and how I was, you know, where I was in my life. And it happened in an instant. That's quite a story. I, you know, it's like you have no preparation. None. And suddenly... And, and it wasn't just an immediate death either. It was like in, out, in, out. And, and then, you know, making the final decision that you're not going to keep him on life support mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. to be a vegetable. Mm -hmm. um, so everything changed in that moment. And, you know, people, people have these identity crises when something immediately happens like that a car accident you know 9 11 mm -hmm. changed so many people's lives mm -hmm. and so how did you make sense of all this you know how did you re-enter life yeah so i i thought i thought i was re-entering life in one way right and, and and subsequent reactions to grief and subsequent reactions to to me and my and my family would would show me that i was not right you know i think his death was one sign that my life now was different and it was going to be okay that i too was a different woman in that moment but i was steadfast on that i'm a scholar that's one thing i knew i could be right that was the the, the scripted part of my life that I said, okay, well then that's, you know, that's where I'm going to focus my energy. So at first I had really wanted to get back to work quickly. And I had told my colleagues, you know, I'll be in work, I'll be at work day one. And I'll talk to my students about how I had lost my husband. Like, God bless my, <laughs> I did not do that, you know, but, um, but it was this idea of, of work was a foundation for me. And it was something I knew and nothing else in my life did I know. I didn't know how to parent by myself. I didn't know how to be a widow. Um, and so work was something I thought, okay, with that, I'll be able to, to do. Um, I was given bereavement leave that first semester, which was a blessing. I didn't earn that. I didn't have that stored up. I was new but they gave me bereavement leave. And so to me, my long-term goal was keep that identity as a scholar. And one of those things that was part of that was I had been promised a job to get me back on track of my academic career as a tenure track scholar at this new institution, because I'd given that up. And um, little did I know that, that my colleagues, uh, some, a small group of my colleagues had 
viewed my bereavement leave more as a break. And there was kind of some resentment and frustration about me being home. And while I was home, I, I had started creative writing, you know, like I had started writing my book. Um, because to me, it was an outlet, it was a therapy to paint, to write, to create, because it was not my job, you know, something not so serious. Um, I would find out months later, this job that had been the goal of us moving to Texas was not only going to not be mine, but I had been excluded from the search because of comments that I hadn't done what I should have when I moved here, you know, that, that I wasn't the woman they had fallen in love with all of these comments that were so deeply personal and not professional. Um, and so for me, when I found out that that job was not going to be what I had signed up for, you know, I wasn't going to get this job. I immediately felt worthless and valueless. And like the woman I had worked to become the scholar I had worked to become was now, you know, erased for me. Um, and so I think in my head, I said, okay, for months, I let that voice dictate who I was. And I let the comments that I heard come out of that meeting. I let those comments define my worth and in, in, in my, you know, what I had contributed, even though it was so far from the truth, the narrative had really guided who I was. And for months, I believed that. And I think it took a, a lot of therapy <laughs> and a lot of really great friends around me, some of which were my other colleagues who were equally heartbroken about what had happened to me at work. And, um, listening to the voices that really loved and cared about me, that was you deserve, especially with everything you've been through, but just as a woman, you know, like you deserve to rewrite and be who you want. And so I marched myself down to the courthouse. I opened a small business um, and I said, I'm going to be an indie author. I'm going to write, I'm going to create, and I'm going to show my daughter that we define who we are, not our colleagues, not our job titles, not that. I get to to tell people who I am. And um, so, yeah, I spun it all on its head. <laughs> <laughs> well, it takes tremendous support and courage to reevaluate where you are when, yeah. you know, life throws you that curveball. But mm -hmm. you, you pivoted. Um, and a lot of people just stay stuck, you know, and, and just go, well, I am so resentful mm -hmm. that I didn't get the job I wanted mm -hmm. and I moved all the way here and mm -hmm. how could they do this to me? And you could have left, you could have lived the rest of your life like that. Yeah. How dare my husband go die on me? Right. I, now I lived my life like that for many, many of those things. I was much easier on him, but, but I really did. I played those same cards and I'd lay awake at night and say, how could they do that to me? And what could I have done differently? And you know, what could I have proven? How could I have proven something? And at the end of the day, I said, you know what, Ash, you asked God to show you how to do this. You asked for guidance on what your life should look like. And if there's a bigger sign that this is not what you're supposed to be doing, it's having another carpet ripped out from underneath of you, you know? And I think in moments when we're that vulnerable, we also stick to what we know. And society tells us this is success. This is what provides for your daughter. You know, um, you know, even my mom, she panicked when I said, I think I'm going to write, you know, she said, Oh, Oh, what happens? You're a single mom. Like Ash, you, you, this is a good paycheck. And I said, I don't care how much money I'm getting. If my daughter keeps seeing her mom unhealthy and broken, 
no money is going to, you know, provide her what she needs. She needs a healthy mom. And, um, you know, I, I got a PhD. And so the only job for someone with a PhD, you know, is to be a professor and to be a scholar. And I had to say, you know, like, nope, that gave me a lot of skills and a lot of, um, you know, talent that I can put towards whatever endeavor I do next. So I think it's, it's allowing yourself to break the rules you know, and yeah. saying, yeah, you told me that's what I'm supposed to do because especially as women, as a mother, you know, you have to do this to provide, you have to do this. We have to be uh, loving of ourselves and brave enough. So our children see that you don't have to follow what society tells you is normal. Yeah. And, it and again, it takes courage to break the rules. It takes mm -hmm. courage not to listen to what everybody else has planned for your life and plan your own life and mm -hmm. you know I have three of my kids um well my kids all didn't want to go to college except for one um so one of them went for one semester and I remember telling a friend my son has decided that school is not for him mm -hmm. he hates school mm -hmm. he's brilliant he's extremely self-motivated he hates school and I'm totally okay with it. And she freaked out. It's not normal. Right. It's not normal. Right. And it's not safe. Right. It's not safe to take a different path because then what? But how many people like you who have PhDs, who have law degrees, who have all these accolades end up pivoting in their life without a crisis even, you know, where they really look inward and they say, this isn't working for me. I got all this education but I'm not happy and you know so sometimes it gets pulled out from us and sometimes we sit with it and say well what do I really want it sounds like it was a combination of both for you I think it was and I think what we have been told is that safe is a paycheck that it's a dollar sign you know and what does safe mean? I mean, as an academic, going through the coronavirus, you know, academia is sure not as secure and as safe <laughs> as we thought it was. Or, you know, like so many of my teacher friends, you know, leaving education and things because the world demanded that we change and we pivot. And for some, you know, they, they choose to go with the change and some they don't. And so I, I do, I think, um, I think safe is a great, you know, that's what we're told to do. And that means get the paycheck, do these things. Um, you know, like who makes a life as an artist and as a writer? Well, artists and writers do, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> someone does it. Um, and yeah. so I, I think kind of just believing that, um, you know, if you take the risk, my mom had said like, well, what happens if, if this fails? And, you know, she's been so supportive. She's been so supportive, but she's like, what happens if this fails? And I said, can it fail? Like, <laughs> is that a failure? You know, if I try this new endeavor and I write this children's book with my daughter and I, you know, find this year or two to love myself and heal and allow myself a new journey, that's a win, you know? And if that means two or three years from now, I need to be a barista somewhere or I want to go <laughs> pick up a new career or office job, that's not a failure. That's a chapter. And allowing yourself to say there isn't what I do right this second doesn't have to be what I died doing, you know, and it doesn't have to be the end all be all, but we're allowed to take those risks, you know, on ourselves, really. Yeah. And if we don't, we never know. That's right. And I think that's failure. It's failure when you haven't really tried, you mm -hmm. know, when you've lived mm -hmm. your life in a little box and mm -hmm. you really wanted to try something, but you didn't. And I'd much rather try it and fall 
than never try it and have regrets because that's the worst. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, look, I, I went through, this was a whole new career for me, coaching. I was an artist my whole life and I became a writer after my divorce. I became a coach and I didn't know how to make a business of it. And people, it took a long time to build. And people would say to me, my loved ones would say to me, go get a job at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Starbucks. It's all of our backup jobs, you know, like we're all going to be at Starbucks together. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, they have great health insurance. So they do. It's like, you've got to think about those things. And, you know, there were times when I thought, okay, you know, maybe it's too hard. Maybe I can't make a living. But I stuck with it and I, I took risks. And I think what's wonderful about doing these things is also the role model that we become for our children. And I, you know, my kids are artistic and they, they're out of the box. I have a daughter who was a fashion designer and then she became a, a pastry chef. And my son is a, is a writer and a, he's got, he's an artist, he's a musician. My other daughter is also artistic. And so, you know, they're never going to be lawyers and doctors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I encourage them to find how to make a career out of something they love rather mm -hmm. than work in something that sucks the soul out of their life, mm -hmm. which is what so many people do because of fear. Yeah. And so, so it, tell us about your business because you wrote this book and you know, tell us like flush out what you what you're doing now. Yeah, so I I don't think I ever envisioned I was gonna own my own you know business like this. So uh, because it is it's a risk. But I I decided for me if I was gonna create a career around my writing that I wanted to have ownership of it. And so, you know, I have another book, a teen novel that I'm writing. I don't want ownership of that. I'm gonna give that to a traditional publisher and let them take that, um, you know, the hopes is that they will take that. But this children's book, I thought this can be an actual adventure for Reagan and I, for my daughter and I. And so I wanted to have the ownership. So, so I self-published this book, um, working with a brilliant illustrator. I was super blessed, Zach Kincaid. So Thomas Kincaid's nephew. Um, oh. Zach is brilliant. Um, he told me, you're like, Ash, I'm not an illustrator. I said, I know. That's the magic of this. You're an artist. And that's what I wanted in this book. Um, so I have his gorgeous art and our, you know, an adventure of Reagan meeting Fresno. Um, and I said, I could do not only online presence of my friend Fresno. So if you go to my website, I have um, some worksheets for kids about loving themselves, uh, why we're special, why our differences make us special. That's kind of what this book, you know, kind of really focuses on rewriting what it means to love people um, and loving people who are not like you, because I think that's where we get the greatest value from friends and family is, is by understanding differences of culture, religion, race, um, gender. And so, you know, there's a worksheet about loving yourself and then loving people who are different and how do we know and who do we know that's different in our lives. And so I wanted to create a company around spreading love of others and love of self, because that's what this life journey of ours is forcing us to do, right? Is to understand things that we didn't understand before. I didn't know what it was like to be a single mom, but now I do. And for others to, to have empathy and grace with me and for me to do the same because we don't have the same life experiences is really important. So, so that website's one way to reach people. But then when coronavirus is over, <laughs> my goal <laughs> is that Reagan and I will get to go on adventures together and sell the book at bookstores. And um, this is just the first of uh, you know several books in this series that we have 
uh, drafted out together, Zach and myself. Um, but we'll be able to go to bookstores and art festivals and um, elementary schools and talk about, you know, not bullying and loving people who aren't, aren't like you, you know, and why they bring such value to the classroom and to our friendships. Um, so yeah, so it was this pursuit of, of what can I control in my life? What message would I want to send? And what example do I want to set for Reagan? Um, I, I did the same thing, you know, um, I used to tell my mom I wanted to be on Broadway and we'd laugh and we're like, okay, but what real job, you know, am I going to do? And with Reagan, I am telling her, yeah, you want to be a singing zoologist? That's awesome. You know, like we're, <laughs> whatever she tells me, you know, she said, I think I'm going to um, work as a zookeeper during the day. She's, she's six. So this could change. I'm going to work as a zookeeper during the day and then sing at night. I said, that's amazing. And she said, well, will you come to my shows? I said, I'll be at every show, you know? And, and I think one of the things I laugh with my friends about is that, you know, like, oh God, what is my life going to look like as a zoologist, you know, singer's mom? And, um, but then, you know, I, I hadn't allowed myself to say, well, what if I want to be a zoologist and singer, you know? <laughs> so the, the messages I was saying to Reagan as a mom and loving her so purely to say, yeah, if that's what you want to do, do it. I now I'm saying, okay, I get to tell myself that same story. You know, and Ash, if you want to be a writer, traveler, advocate, then go be a traveler, writer, advocate. Um, so I think that's the cool thing is Reagan and I are almost learning in a childlike way this very new chapter of our lives together. That's beautiful. It's so many parents just squash the dream, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, that's silly. You don't mm -hmm. want to be that. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, it's like, you know, to support your kids' dreams is the greatest gift you can give them and to model that you're doing the same thing for yourself, which is beautiful. Um, so let's tie this into our listeners. Somebody's listening to this. They haven't gone through what you've gone through. Thank mm -hmm. God they haven't had such a big crisis, but we've all been through things. And, you know, for someone who feels stuck, who feels like, oh, you know, it's this new chapter and I don't know what to do with myself. What, what advice do you have for them? I think we all have that child inside of us that says, you know, if, if I had the ability to do something, I would do this. Or if I thought I was good enough, I would do this. Or if I was pretty enough, if I was strong enough, the only person who defines that in you is you. You know, and I think um, I had to get a therapist to help remind me that I'm worth more than I believe in myself, you know, but I think just believing in your heart, who you're, who you are and what's important to you um, and saying, put aside everything you've been told in life, what's important for me, it had to be my health and my happiness and my ability to be present in my life because I was in a bad place. And I kept saying, is your current path going to get you there? Yes or no? And I think that was the hardest question for me to answer. It, am I on a path to health and happiness? Because that's what life's about. And I said, absolutely not. And is the money I'm getting from that job giving me what I think I deserve and need out of life? Absolutely not. So I think allowing yourself to say, what if right? And listening to those things. What if there were no restraints on what I wanted to do? What if, um, you know, a best friend, this is the best tactic I can take with myself. What if my best friend was telling me they were in this situation? What advice would I be giving them, right? I give great advice to my friends and then I'm really hard on myself. So, so one of the things I'll do is I'll say like, okay, well, if my best friend called and said she was hurting, she was unhappy, she was stuck, 
I'd fight and advocate with her to get unstuck. And so I think one of the things um, I would encourage listeners to do is say, you know, what would you tell your best friend who felt like this? What would you encourage them to fight for? And then say, well, you know what? You're worth fighting for that too. And risking it and, and saying, take away the what if and, and try. Because like we said, if it doesn't work, cool, that's a new chapter. And then we go back to the drawing board and we re-talk to our best friend, you know, and we try again. That's great. So these are great questions. So um, I think, you know, just really getting honest with yourself. Is your current path going to get you there? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I grew up with a mom who was a teacher for part of her life. Then she moved after her divorce and um, became a fundraiser and did that for a number of years. She was never a, a teacher. She, that wasn't what she was meant to be. She loved fundraising, but she always had a dream to be a writer. And she would talk about how great she was at writing and I never saw her writing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so finally um, she'd gotten remarried and she decides I'm going to go take a course in writing and I'm going to get back into it. And I'm like, yay, mom. And on the way home from the course, she says, I don't know if I'll be able to do the homework. And I'm like, mom, you are sabotaging before you even got yeah. home. But, but like, we're so good at that. And, and you know, know, you would not allow someone you loved and cared about to talk like that. We wouldn't allow exactly. our children to speak like that. We wouldn't let our best friend who called and said, oh, you know, God, if I was just better, I'm not good enough to do this. We go, Psh, that's not true. You know, and we would, we would rewrite the narrative. And so it's, I think that's the hardest thing is, is being nice enough to yourself to say, quit sabotaging it before it starts you are good enough and it's about grit and continuing to remind yourself or putting it I have to put it on my mirror or on my vision board that I'm good enough and sometimes it's really going back and staring at that vision board if I don't believe it right then you know that keep fighting for it yeah and the grit is a big part of it and by the way she did write good (laughs) oh good I was like please tell me she (laughs) (laughs) she it's still hard to get her to sit down and do it but she she has a lot of resistance because we have these saboteurs that come in and say well it's not that important and then I've got to go serve all these other people and do all nice things which it's been really interesting during coronavirus because she can't do that anymore so she's She's actually thriving as an 88-year-old woman. She is doing really well. Coronavirus has been a source of trauma and pain and, and stress and discomfort for, for all of us. But it's also been such a place of solace and self-discovery and forced quiet time with yourself, which is one of the scariest, worst <laughs> times ever. But I think in those quiet moments, you really do, you hear the voice. And when there aren't the distractions, you actually have to listen to it. And so, you know, my hope is that, that many of your listeners, you know, got the chance to, to hear that voice and to have a little bit of silence and say, what does my life mean and what is it worth? Yeah, it definitely shines a light on that. If you're willing to listen, if you're not just putting yourself in front of Netflix all day, mm-hmm. you can actually hear the still small voice inside that tells you the truth. Uh, so this is, you know, and we can apply this to dating. So I want to just put a word out there because this is a show for people who are dating and in relationships that, um, we often feel that we're not enough in the dating world. And if we only lose 10 pounds and if we, um, or we have other limiting beliefs and our stories are perpetuated and we look for that and we find it, we find the man who 
will say you're too big for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, and there is a man out there who loves your body, but you've got to start loving on your body and, and, you know, and taking care of yourself and really feeling like I am enough. And we often just look for what's wrong. So just putting the focus on, you know, who, who are you at your highest self, not mm-hmm. your lowest self. And that we created those stories so we can actually create new ones. I think that value of our worth too relates to dating so much because um, I think many of us experience very unhealthy relationships. You know, when I was younger, I was in a very unhealthy relationship before my beautiful marriage. You know, I was in an unhealthy relationship and I think I had come to the point where I said like, well, I guess this is like what I deserve. This is it, you know, and, and I made my bed. I have to lie in it kind of story. And so that feeling of stuck comes with, with, unhealthy relationships too. And you're like, Oh, I don't know that anyone else will ever love me. I don't know that I'm, you know, good enough to be loved again. I'm going to be, you know, the, how old, however old. And my plan was supposed to be, I was going to be married at 28. You know, we have these stories. And so I think sometimes we allow ourselves to get stuck in the unhealthy and we're not willing to say, you know, I'm worth more than that. And um, for me, it was, it was my mom rescued me from this horrible relationship and, you know, encouraged me to get out. And it was months later that Buddy walked into my life and, and changed it. And that chapter forever will define a beautiful part of my life, you know, but had I not believed my mom when she said I was worth more than that, it had been seven years. I had been in this bad relationship, wow. you know, and, and I had lost my value. I had my value. I had lost it through that, you know, very unhealthy dynamic. And I had to rebuild that, but he had to remind me how great I was. Find someone who will remind you how great you are, you know, doesn't tear you down because um, I think the greatest love comes from somebody who doesn't tolerate the nasty things we say about ourselves. And they say, that's not who I see. I wish you saw who I saw, you know, Uh, and, and see our worth. Yeah. That's such an important thing. And what I also love is that you speak about this relationship with Buddy that with such love and that it was such an important thing. It's not with regret that I had met him and then he died and now look at where I am. I, I, I see a lot of women who are dating later in life who are so afraid of loving again and then losing their partner. And yeah, so what do you, what do you say to those people? I understand as much <laughs> as I can because every story is different. I understand. Um, therapy also helps with that, (laughs) but I'm a huge therapy fan. Um, but you know, if, if buddy had shook my hand the first day and said, Hey, my name's buddy Wellman. I'm going to die on August 12th, 2018, but I'm going to love you fearlessly. And I'm going to give you the most beautiful daughter. And we're going to have such an adventure. And I'm going to set you up for a life where you know that you're an amazing human because we had the life we had. Do you know what I mean? I would have done it a million times over again. And the 90 minutes of hell and the, you know, I'd say the the first year was by far a nightmare, you know, was worth every moment that I had with him. And, you know, now someone had asked me, you know, who do you want to date again? A thousand percent because I know what beautiful love is like. And I was born to be a wife, you know, I was born to be someone's partner. And he had told me if something happens to me, love, love hard. Don't sit there and mourn me. I'm not there. You don't do good by yourself. (laughs) And um, he said, just make sure my one thing is that they love you and my daughter fearlessly and that they support you and give you a life you deserve. That's what, you know, that's what he, he had told me before. And to me, loving again 
is, is allowed because it's not going to replace Buddy. It's not going to replicate the love I had for Buddy. It's a new love. It's a new chapter. It's a new adventure. And, and someone said, you're like, okay, they were trying to hook me up on a date, which God bless. You know, your widow friends will find their own dates, I promise. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were trying to set me up on a date. And, you know, they're like, how old can he be? How old can he be? Like, I know I don't want like another person to die on you, you know? And like, I, I went, you know, I can't think I got, like, I don't care how old he is. He needs to love me fearlessly. That's what I want, you know? Um, but a 22-year-old could die. You know, there's no promise. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. But what I can seek is someone who every day I get with him, life is beautiful and life's an adventure. And I have a, a cheerleader next to me. And so you can't be scared of loss. That's the, that's the cost of loving. That's the cost to play the game of life is losing. And yeah. To, to say you get to love again, like what an amazing gift, you know, and it's no disrespect, no shame, none of that. And yes, if you're lucky enough to love and lose, and then you're lucky enough to love and lose again, like it's a risk you got to take because if not, then you don't get the love, you know? So to me, take the risk again, take the <laughs> risk <laughs> because, you know, all good things come to an end. That's what they say, you know? And um, I wouldn't request that like, Hey, anyone who, you know, thinks they're going to leave anytime soon, come get me, you know, but, <laughs> but again, if in hindsight, had I known I would have done it a million times again. And so why not allow myself another chapter? Love that. I think that is the attitude that gets you the life that you want. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, if you need a guarantee, <laughs> that somebody's not going to break your heart. They're not going to die. They're not going to leave you. That a lot of people are dating that way. It's like, I want, I want to know the last chapter before we even start. Mm -hmm. And I mean, men will also, you know, check the woman out about sex. You know, they'll ask on the phone, Hey, before we go any further, I just want to know, are you still sexually active? Oh, it's like, yeah, I'll tell you, I will tell you this. I'm still only 36, but I will tell you over time the definition of what love really is and when you're finding the person who's great for you it's so different you know, like when we're young it's kind of this like oh he's beautiful and he's funny and like you know whatever and we're seeking things like first based on visual attraction and those kinds of things and sex is great you know i'm not gonna say sex is not great but um but where i'm at now and everything i've been through i want a best friend and a partner who says, I'm here no matter what, you know, and those kinds of things. Who wants to go on adventures with me? It's, I've redefined so much what's critical, you know, like I don't need a supermodel. I don't need, you know, uh, 50, I don't need Christian Gray in my bedroom. I really don't. I need someone who loves me fearlessly and who says, let's do life together, you know? Um, and yeah, it just kind of shifts. And I think different things that occur in our lives, it's okay if what's important shifts. Yeah. Well, I can just tell from meeting you briefly here <laughs> that you have fabulous energy. You are a, a person who's filled with love. Like you are, you are open, you are warm, and you will find him. Thank you. He will find you Thank because you. you just, you just I have hope he's ready have for, a, uh, that's right. <laughs> for a handful. Oh my God. <laughs> You'd be lucky to get you. <laughs> uh, so this has been so, so inspiring, Ashley. And I love how you re rebuilt your life and you did it your way. And I know it's going to be all really just 
exciting adventures you, from Cindy. here on. So tell our audience how they can find you and your website and your book. Absolutely. Okay. So my friend Fresno, this little guy, you can actually get, I made a bunch of little products. So if you have your little kiddos <laughs> and you want a best friend who's a little different, um, my friend Fresno, uh, www.myfriendfresno.com. The, the book and the products are available for pre-sale right now. Um, the book should be in hand in October. And so anyone who's getting their hands on it early, will get a little bit of a discount. Um, you can find the plush doll puzzles, the book, those, those types of things. Um, but if you visit us at www www.myfriendfresno.com or on social media at myfriendfresno.com. You can follow our adventures there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your beautiful story of rewriting the next chapter. And thank you everyone for listening. And if you love our show, please rate and review us. And we hope you go on your last first date very soon. <laughs>